Hi, everybody. This is Gary Wilkerson with the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be talking about uh, an important, very important topic, one that uh, may seem distant from you if you don't like to study theology or doctrine, but it certainly is pertinent to your life. It, it, it touches everything that has to do with your life. Uh, all our problems come down to how we understand God, how all of our solutions come to understand understanding of a, the nature and character of, of God, how we deal uh, with things in life. And so we're, we're privileged and honored to have uh, Dr. Sam Storms uh, with us today. Uh, Sam has written uh, a number of books. I, I have, I just bought this one, Sam. Have you seen that one lately? Uh, yeah. Come, and it's challenging me to the core. Uh, uh, and so we'll talk about that maybe just a little bit. Uh, and then if you're if you like me enough, I'll invite you back and we'll talk about that book if we could. Uh, but today we want to stick with the attributes uh, of God. And Sam's written uh, on many things. He's pastor of a tremendous church in Oklahoma. Uh, it's called, tell us the name, Sam? Bridgeway. Bridgeway Church yeah. in what part of Oklahoma? Oklahoma City, right in the center. All right, cool. Uh, he's a scholar, a theologian, a pastor, a lover of God, and a lover of people. And uh, um, if you want some more resources, we'll talk about that later, but uh, he's written, uh, I don't know if it's in book form, Sam, The uh, Attributes of God that uh, is online. Uh, I did see a, a PDF file about the attributes of God. Is that in book form? Um, I, the very first book I ever wrote was called The Grandeur of God. It came out in the mid-1980s. It's been out of print for quite a while, uh, <clears throat> but it's, it, the content of it is largely on my website, available free to all. Um, so beyond that, I haven't written anything else, uh, other than, um, you know, I've written on the sovereignty of God in a book called chosen for life. Um, but pretty much everything that, uh, that I've written on this subject and any other subject for that matter is on my website, free of charge. People can access it at samstorms.org. So very good. Thanks, Sam. So we, let's just jump right in. I want to talk to you about the, uh, the, the glory and the attributes of God. Before, before we get into the actual discussion of the attributes of God, you said something in uh, I, the article, maybe the same one available on, on your church website. I, I got it through, uh, am I saying it right, Moner, Monergrism or Monergism? Uh, yeah, they, they, they published that article you did too. And, and it starts off by saying, uh, you ask a question, what is the preeminent passion in God's heart what is his greatest pleasure? Uh, do you? I don't know if you remember writing that or not, but if, I'd love for you to just start the conversation by commenting on what you believe is God's greatest pleasure, his greatest delight. What's he after? Yeah, that this is one that typically can stir people up a little bit. Uh, in fact, I um, I talk about this event rather humorously, especially with the young lady uh, that it involved. But uh, several years ago, it was probably twenty five years ago, I was teaching a class on the attributes of God. And I asked the question, what is the preeminent passion in the heart of God? Uh, what, is, what is his primary um, goal in all that he does? And this young lady in the back raised her hand and shouted out, me! <laughs> I said, well, let, let's kind of, let's, let's work uh, around that a little bit and see if we can be a little bit more precise. And I said, I think the answer is God. I think the preeminent in God's heart is God's own glory. And I mean, uh, you would have thought that I espoused the greatest heresy imaginable. She actually stood up and began screaming at me. I had just destroyed her Christian faith and her understanding of who God is. And 
she couldn't understand how I would say that. And after she calmed down, and by the way, we have a great relationship today. She's a wonderful Christian lady. Um, I pointed out to her that in saying that God's greatest passion is for his own glory is to say that he loves you preeminently. And, and to, to her, that sounded mutually exclusive. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. God love himself and his own glory and then simultaneously love me. And the way I explained it, I'll try to be kind of concise here. It's a, it's a very deep and profound topic. We have to start with the question of um, how does God love me? What, if, I, if, if there's one way in which I could know that he loved me uh, truly, sincerely, and passionately, what would he do for me? And the answer is he would give me himself. He would give me the greatest and the most satisfying, the most beautiful gift in all the universe. And that gift, of course, is God himself. There's no one more beautiful that can enthrall me. No one more uh, glorious who can satisfy me. Um, all the other gifts that I might have in life are secondary to the gift of God, being able to get God, to be able to see him, to know him, to enjoy him. And I asked her, I said, would you agree with that? She said, well, sure. And I said, so, so is it not then... Um, and I showed her dozens and dozens of biblical texts that support this. I said, so in order for God to give me himself and to elicit in my heart a deep delight and satisfaction in who he is, does that not sound like God working for his own glory? Uh, is When God commands me in scripture, praise me, honor me, glorify me, come to me, drink of me, you know, uh, slake your thirst in who I am. Does that not sound like God pursuing his own praise and his own glory? She said, well, yeah. I said, and does it not also sound like God pursuing your ultimate good and thus loving you preeminently? She said, well, yeah. So the point being, God's pursuit of his own glory and God's pursuit of my ultimate good are not separate. They're not, they're not contradictory or conflicting uh, passions or goals. They're one and the same. Um, you know, you may have... John Piper probably summarized it best in a statement for which he's famous, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So for God to love me, he, he needs to work to elicit my satisfaction in him, not my satisfaction in money or good health or a nice home or a good job or a family. All those are great blessings, but his love for me is seen most clearly when he seeks my satisfaction in him. And in order to do that, he has to show his glory to me. He has to command me to praise him. He, he has to awaken in my heart enjoyment of who he is. So that's why God's glory is most clearly seen when I am most deeply and, and fully satisfied in him and all that he is for me in Jesus. That's so profound and powerful. That should be core to our faith. Um, would you say, though, that you're saying they're not mutually exclusive, uh, God existing for his glory, and that brings us our greatest joy. Is there, um, a, diff is there a, a problem for a believer that might say, okay, I agree with you, Sam, on that, just as long as I get my greatest joy, you know, like the priorities of that, um, can, can that be skewed? Like, where the, you know, like, where some, they say this girl that in the class, she could have settled down and said to you, okay, good, I feel better now. As long as I'm included in this, um, so, so as long as somehow God's going to take care of me, if he wants his glory, fine. Is, is there sort of a, a problem with that at all or no? 
No, I, as, as long as I, as long as we make it clear that, um, let me, let me back, let me back up and maybe I put it this way. Let's go back to the, um, to the very first commandment of the 10. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Um, is it true that that's true of God as well as of us? In other words, if, if God uh, had as a preeminent focus and passion of his heart anything other than himself, would he not be guilty of idolatry? Hmm. Think, about, uh, think about what, um, what worship is. Um, worship is um, ascribing value and worth uh, to the object of whatever it is that we adore and praise. If it, when God says to us, "Thou shalt have no other gods before me," worship me alone. Uh, for us to do anything other, for to set our focus, our our pursuit on anyone or anything else, is, is idolatry because we're placing ultimate value on something that is less ultimate. Um, God is, of course, the most ultimate value. He is the most glorious being in the universe, deserving of our undivided affection and praise. Now, if that's true for us, is it not true for God also? If God were to make preeminent in his heart the pursuit of something other than his own glory, he would, he would be idolatrous. He would be giving ultimate honor and placing preeminent value on something less than that which is ultimately valuable right. and ultimately worthy of honor. Um, so when we, when we have that in our understanding and we realize that, you know, coming back to my friend in that classroom, uh, she was, her, her life was driven with this, with this glorious truth. And it is a glorious truth. And I affirmed it to her that God really loves me. I'm the apple of his eye. He's concerned for me. He's for me. He's with me. And I said, absolutely. And how is that manifested? How do you know that to be true? And we finally got around to the fact that, well, finally, because he has through the gift of his son and the redeeming me out of sin and restoring me to re relationship with him, given me the most soul satisfying a uh, heart enthralling, mind fascinating experience that is possible, and that is knowing God. You know, like uh, Jesus said in John 17, I think it's verse three, um, this is eternal life that you might know God and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. That's how we know he loves us, that he gives us what is the greatest gift imaginable. Um, so, it, it, it's not a problem. It's, it wasn't a, a, a sinful thing for her to think that, um, that God is passionately committed to her good and is devoted to her. And, and that when he thinks of her, there's deep, profound delight and affection that arises in his heart. But what she needed to see was the way in which that kind of affection is most clearly manifest in the gift of himself to us and the capacity for us to see him. Uh, mm -hmm. To know him, to to enjoy him forever, you know that's that's why uh, um, I'm, I want to quote it correctly here. Uh, I always come back to uh, something Peter said in First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the right for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the greatest glory of the gospel, is that we get God. 
the greatest glory in the gospel isn't that I'm forgiven of my sins, although that's a blessing. But why is it a blessing? It's a blessing because forgiveness removes the barrier between me and God, you know, being adopted. That's a great blessing. It's a great gift. Um, Having hope, being reconciled, being redeemed, uh, all of these things, being justified, you know, all of these things are absolutely glorious. Why? They aren't an end in themselves. They're glorious because in granting me those gifts, God has removed every barrier to my getting him, my seeing and enjoying and delighting in him, which is the most wonderful blessing that any human being could ever experience. That makes so much sense and uh, such an important message. Do you feel, uh, if you walk into an average church today, and we're not here to bash churches or not that, but but just kind of looking at... uh, what we call on this podcast, the, um, the low view of God and the high view of God. And a low view of God is like, he's there to just kind of give me prosperity and keep me in good health. And as long as my church sort of keeps building me up along those lines, I'm happy, I'll, I'll leave. Uh, but if you challenge me, uh, if you convict me, uh, would, would you say the, um, the, like the, there's a whole lot going on in churches that would cater more to the girl who stands up and says, it's all about me. And then the pastor goes, yeah, it is yeah. all about you. So, uh, and maybe a little lesser on, which I imagine your church does, a lot about who God is, his attributes, his holiness, his grace. Sure. Uh, what, what's your take on that situation? Yeah, I, I think what you're referring to is something that um, it's a term or a phrase that's been uh, bandied about lately. And I think it's very accurate in describing the state of the church today. It's what uh, Christian Smith called um, moralistic therapeutic deism. Hmm. Everybody's going, oh, you just lost me there. (laughs) Basically, what he meant by that is this, that, yes, God exists. He created everything, and he watches over human life on the earth, and he wants you to be good and nice and fair, just like the Bible teaches. And the central goal in your life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. And God is not going to necessarily be directly involved in your life, except when he's needed to resolve some massive problem. And finally, and good people go to heaven when they die. And that basically is the, the mindset, the mentality that people have when they, when they come to church or when they uh, become spiritual or religious. It's that, yeah, there's this, there's, there's this creator, this being out there who made me, and, it's, and he made me to be happy and to be good and fair. And uh, I, I can expect that he won't intrude into my life in ways that will make me uncomfortable. Um, and typically what happens is people walk into church services everywhere convinced that their problems are massively superior or greater than God. And my goal as a pastor is to convince them that God is massively superior and greater than all their problems. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why we have so many problems in, in Christian experience and in Christian churches and such an insipid gospel is being proclaimed is because we have such a low view of God. We really don't think of him as omnipotent, all-powerful and omniscient, all-knowing and omnipresent and everywhere simultaneously and uh, authoritative and good and holy and just and intimately, intricately involved in, the, in, the, in every detail of life. Um, and, and because we have that shrunken view of God, uh, he's almost like this, this what we call a divine pygmy. I hope that's not a socially incorrect or politically incorrect language, but he's just this tiny little 
God that we envision sitting on a chair up somewhere up in the clouds and um, who can't possibly um, have the resources or the, the heart intent to address the problems that we're facing uh, in our world today. That mentality is pervasive in our churches. Unfortunately, it's pervasive in the hearts of many pastors, and that's why that's why the God whom they proclaim is so unappealing to people and so unhelpful. Mm. Wow. That makes total sense to me. I appreciate saying all that. Um, do you feel the, the, the attributes of God, a um, couple questions all tied in together here. Are, are they, are they widely known in, in among the body of Christ today? Uh, if so, are some of them more known than others, more preached than others? some more neglected than others, even some despised even. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little outrageous, but if you think about it, um, the attributes of God are infinite. They are immeasurable. They are innumerable. If God himself is infinite, in other words, if there is no limitation to who he is, then there is no limit to the features and the facets of his personality and his character. Um, it's really interesting when you pick up a, a, a standard systematic theology textbook or even a book on the attributes of God, you might find 10, 12, maybe 15 attributes mentioned. And it, it's kind of presented as this is the limit of what we can say or know about God. Um, that is in, incredibly uh, insulting to God. Oh, wow. That, that's why when people talk to me about heaven and they say, God, it just seems like it's going to be boring. I mean, after we've learned these 12 attributes, what is there to do? And I say, are you kidding? <laughs> I say, just ask yourself this question. Is God infinite? And by that, we mean, is there any limit to who he is in terms of his abilities and his character? And of course, they'll say, well, no, there isn't. I said, well, then there's going to be no limit to what we learn about him when we're finally in the new heavens, new earth. Now, now there are certain limitations, but it's simply because we're in our sinful fallen state and we can't comprehend the magnitude and the unfathomable depths of God's character. But getting back to kind of circling back around to your question. Yeah. If you to ask somebody about the attributes of God, basically they'll mention one love. love. God is love. Yeah. My goodness. That, that is at the very core of who he is, but they typically won't go beyond that. And even if you say, well, is God omnipotent? Is he all powerful? They'll say, well, with, within limits, I said, no, no, no. you understand the word omni. It means all. Powerful. <laughs> um, and what about uh, his holiness? Um, and they, they kind of think that that means that God is, uh, has a constant frown on his face, so to speak. Um, and he's very strict and legalistic and oppressive and doesn't want us to have any fun in life. And they don't understand that holiness is really transcendent beauty. It's basically means that God is so glorious in every respect that he's in a class all by himself. Um, you know, so you start enumerating the attributes and typically, uh, you run out at about, like I said, at about 10 or 12. Um, the one attribute of God that I have come to, um, to embrace and to think about and to write about uh, in recent years more than any other is one that typically isn't found in your standard theology book. That's the attribute of beauty. Uh, God is preeminently beautiful. 
and I've used that word in, a, in an aesthetic sense, uh, attractive, harm, harmonious, everything is in perfect uh, relationship to everything else in his, in his character. Um, you know, we, we can walk out of, you know, on a, a beautiful clear night and look at a sunset and say, my goodness, that's so beautiful, or up into a cloudless sky at night and marvel at the beauty of the stars and the planets, or um, we can comment upon a, a person's physical features here on earth and say, she is beautiful, or he is beautiful, or comment on a, on a particular painting. But what do we mean when we say it of God? God is beautiful. And I think when we, when we look at the way he's revealed himself to us in Jesus in scripture, um, when you begin to get a complete and comprehensive picture, it, it, it awakens in you that, that aesthetic sense of, wow, there is nothing more appealing, more adorable, more um, glorious, more majestic, more splendid than God in, in all of his glory. Mm. So that's a that's an attribute. It's interesting. Um, it has become uh, the focus of a lot of, of authors and theologians of late, and they're writing a whole lot more about the beauty of God. That's really only within about the last 10 or 15 years. For that, you'd find someone here or there writing about it. Jonathan Edwards certainly did. Um, but it's not something that you typically read about uh, in most of the theology textbooks up until about the turn of the century. I think you're, you're, you're spot on with that. I, I've been studying this for a while, and we've been doing this podcast, uh, particularly touching on the attributes of God for a couple months now. Uh, and myself and some of the others that I've interviewed, that's not come up. Uh, no one's mentioned the beauty of God. And I think that's phenomenal because that's a, uh, you know, that makes him, uh, you know, he wants to draw men to himself. Well, what better way to be drawn than, than his beauty? So that's, that's I, I really Gosh, let me just, uh, it just, that provoked in my mind. You asked me um, a moment ago, um, if I had written a book on this, I just remembered, yeah, I did. <laughs> it's called One Thing, uh, subtitled Developing a Passion for the Beauty of God. Um, and in it, you know, I take the one thing from uh, Psalm 27, one thing have I desired, David said, to, to gaze upon your beauty in the temple. And so I develop in that book ways in which the beauty of God is manifested, not only in scripture, but also in creation, in the natural realm we see the beauty of God uh, revealed. So um, it's a short book. It's about 140, 150 pages. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I have talked about it and developed that to some extent. Wow. Well, I want to get into the um, specifics of some of the attributes now besides beauty as well. Or, you know, certainly we can talk more about that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, Sam, are you okay to stay with us for a little bit longer? You have Absolutely. You bet. Okay, great. Sure. We'll be back. Uh, uh, join us uh, next week. Sam will be back with us. Uh, we'll continue this uh, series that we're doing on the attributes of God. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining in. And please check out uh, Sam's uh, online material at his church, Bridgeway. Uh, is that right? Bridge? Yeah, bridgewaychurch.com or samstorms.org. Either one, get them to that material. The books you've mentioned, the material you've mentioned are, are all online. So thanks for joining us today. See you next week. You bet. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.